Hi, this is George Denholm. And this is Dustin Weber. Welcome to the 5 by 2 podcast, where each week we discuss Christian discipleship. We hope that you'll find this podcast interesting and informative, but also challenging as you strive to grow in your discipleship to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. This week, we're going to be talking with Caleb Wolf as we discuss being Christian in farming. So Caleb, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Can you just get us started off by just telling us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to start with and share? Well, I appreciate the invitation. This could be the uh, shortest and least interesting podcast you've done. I believe I've listened to all of them, but they've they've kept my attention the whole time. What episode is this? Do we know? It's at the top here, 45. It's on your notes. Perfect. Sorry, I missed that. That's okay. That's what makes it interesting when you make a mistake and we could call you out. That keeps me humble. <laughs> Well, Dustin does that for me a lot. So I'm a 21-year member of St. Peter's. 21 years? Yes, sir. That's hard to believe. Yes, sir. We moved here immediately after we graduated from college. We got married and uh, moved here. We've been here for 21 years. So Stephanie, uh, I still think of her as a young teacher. We'll keep it that way, but she's she's more experienced now than she used to be. So she teaches kindergarten here at St. Peter's. I farm in the area. I farm with the Arnholt family. I've been with them since 2002. It's easy to remember how long I've been there and how long we've been married and how long we've been at St. Peter's because it's all all the same. It all happened. Boom, boom, boom. That's a lot of change at one time. Don't they say that's a major stressor when you move and start a new job and get married? So we graduated from Concordia River Forest in May and moved here almost immediately. Got married in June, and then Stephanie started on staff here at the end of July, and she's still here. So you call it Concordia River Forest. That was before they made the name change, right? Exactly. I'm a Concordia River Forest alumni. I'm not a Concordia Chicago alumni in my mind. But let's back up even farther. Tell us about your roots. So I grew up in Altamont, Illinois. It's a little bit rare to have a farmer who is from out of state joining a different operation, but I grew up in Altamont, Illinois. I grew up on a small family dairy farm. My dad and my uncle farmed together. My uncle had three boys. They were like my older brothers. I have two older sisters, and so we all grew up in a very, very tight-knit community. If you go up by on 600 North and uh, you're familiar with the, where the Pences live, they all live almost within eye shot of each other. And that's how I grew up in Illinois. A lot of our families are that way. We've got several families that patriarch sets up and the other children and grandchildren are, are within a couple blocks. It's, the Pences are famous for that. I think the Bunnells are a similar situation, and there's a few other families that are similar. Correct. The Arnholds are a little different. They're on two sides of the county, aren't they? It's, so it's interesting. The The home farm, the original farm, is over on off of Indianapolis Road. So that's where uh, Keith and Gary grew up, and that's, that's the Arnholds that I work for. I know there's a lot of Arnholds that farm. But uh, the ones I specifically work with are Keith and Gary and uh, and Brian, Keith's son. Keith and Gary grew up on that side of town. And eventually when Keith got married, they bought a house uh, or a farm or on the other side of town. So we're... Uh we're kind of split on both sides of the county, and, and really we farm in most all parts of the county. Uh, we also rent uh, quite a bit of ground as well. So we work with a lot of people, a lot of landlords, and landlord communication and uh, relationships is a very important thing. Well, and that seems like it's a fairly recent, but I'm sure it's been going on forever, but more prevalent maybe is what I should say. Renting ground, you have to have a lot of ground to make farming pay off. Sure. I like to say that we don't need less farmers, but we're always every year having less farmers. It's not good for the equipment dealers, in my opinion, and anybody else who sells to farmers, but there's just the generation, the next generation loses interest in farming and isn't led to do that. And so we every year we have less farmers. And so there's there's ground for rent most every year, and a lot of people have grown their operations through that. Now, we're getting way deep in the weeds, and that's why Dustin will give me a hard time. But So I live on the west side, not too far from the, from the Arnold Farm on Indianapolis Road. 
they used to be mostly dairy there. Is that right? Correct. There used, that's where they started dairy farming, or they always had a dairy farm. That farm was sold, or the cows were sold in 2013. So uh, Gary primarily took care of that. Keith took care of the or takes care of the row crops. So the cows moved on in in uh, 2013. So, but there's still cattle out there. Gary feeds out quite a few steers and markets those as fat cattle. We're getting way deep into the farming thing. Let's back up again. I think you had started this talking about Altamont, where you were from. Well, that was like four minutes ago. We lost track. It was. We've lost track of it, but we'll come back. So I grew up in Altamont, and I was very blessed to grow up there. It's a tight-knit, small farming community. It's pretty unique, about 80 miles east of St. Louis. There are a lot of German Lutherans who farm there. There's four Lutheran churches, LCMS Lutheran churches, just uh, within about a 10-mile radius of Altamont, and Altamont's a small town of only about 2,100. We have a similar thing here in Bartholomew Jackson County, a lot of Lutherans. So, you know, we've got some other connections to Altamont here at St. Peter's. One of the uh, young men that went through our school was a member at St. Paul Clifty, but went through our school is now pastor in the dual congregation at the two that are in the south side of the county, Bethlehem and Zion, right? And that's Marcus Manley. Correct. Uh, He's been there for maybe three or four years, and he's doing a wonderful job working with the dual parish and all these little country churches. It becomes tough to survive, and fortunately, they've been blessed by Marcus uh, taking a lead there and accepting a call to to work with two churches and and make that work. And there's another connection here that I have to share. Caleb was baptized by my father-in-law. That is correct. I was baptized. Uh, I was born March 20th. I was baptized March 30th. There was a vacancy at my home church, which was Emmanuel in Altamont. St. Paul Blue Point had, was blessed to have Pastor Schultz as their pastor at the time. So he filled in 10 days old. I was baptized, and I've been a Lutheran ever since. Now my father-in-law is in heaven, but he spent several years there at Altamont, and then he was in Redbud, which is just south of St. Louis. And then there's connections to Redbud because some of the Benzies came from outside of Redbud. So, you know, it's a small Lutheran world, especially when you throw in a Concordia or a pastor somewhere, which goes back to you were a son of a missionary. Tell us a little bit about that. That's correct. Of course, growing up on a small farm in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, my dad just assumed he'd become a farmer. Grandpa sent him out on a on a, with a cab or a cabless tractor and a combine when he was in high school, and his he didn't realize that he had such bad asthma until the dust from combining wheat. He thought he was going to die that night. Of course, he survived and he was fine, but uh, his grandma was always telling him that he should become a pastor, and he thought, well, clearly God is not leading me to become a farmer with my allergies the way I have them, and so he decided or was led that he should go to Concordia Teachers College in River Forest and uh, pursue a teaching degree, which he did. So he went there in 1958, graduated. I think uh, there was an interesting time there where the program was a little bit longer. He graduated in 1963. And before graduation, the president of Concordia called him and said, uh, can you come meet with me for a little while? And would you have any any interest in pursuing a uh, or accepting a call to a an international mission field? And being from nowhere, Illinois, with, you know, his life experience was in a, such a small town. So he called his mom and dad, or my grandma and grandpa, and he said, uh, what do you guys think about me going overseas on a mission? And they said, you know, you got to pray about it. You got to make this decision. We support you in whatever you want to do. And so upon graduation, he was extended a call. And so he served as a missionary in Papua New Guinea. It was an interesting time for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s in Papua New Guinea. I'm, most people probably aren't aware of this, but at uh, the peak of the mission field in Papua New Guinea, there were more than 100 families in one small province in the middle of Papua New Guinea, which is north of Australia. So it's extremely remote, but they had this tight-knit community. For whatever reason, the LCMS was led to, to really spread the word 
to very remote tribes in Papua New Guinea. And they uh, they called a lot of people there, and a lot of people accepted that call. So where does your mom fit in here? Was she in the mission field? Was she back at River Forest? How did how do your folks get together? It was an interesting thing. God really worked this out, and purely by faith, my mom ended up as a wife of a missionary. Dad was home at Concordia River Forest working on his master's degree, and mom happened to be the roommate of my aunt, his sister. And they met in the summer of 1969. They were married in December, and so they'd known each other for six months. And so their honeymoon was, let's move to Papua New Guinea and start our lives together. That's an interesting story. It draws you either close together or causes a lot of issues. The interesting thing is that there are so many people there that they had such a community, and they relied on each other so much that they built such lifelong connections. All these years later, mom and dad came home in 1976. But last summer, about this time, we were, our whole family was in Boise, Idaho for a gathering of Lutheran missionaries from Papua New Guinea. The unique thing is there was mission Lutheran missionaries in Papua from, from Australia, from the United States, from Canadians. And so I grew up with a lens of, there's a lot of people in this world who came together in this one period of time to have a massive impact on a community halfway around the world. They had educators, they had nurses, they had guys that cut wood and mechanics and people that ran their store. And they were all called called to this unique part of the world to change the lives of the people there. I didn't really appreciate that until I think six or seven years ago, we had gone to one of these, they call them a bung. It's a, it's just a gathering of friends. And, and we went to a bung in Peoria, which is Stephanie's from just outside of Peoria a few years ago. And, and for whatever reason, God led me to invite mom and dad, hey, it's been 40 years since you left, or 50 years. Would you have any interest in going back to Papua New Guinea? So a few years ago, mom and dad and I took a trip, and we went back to Papua New Guinea. And I never knew how life-changing the mission field was until we took that trip. Everywhere we went, uh, my parents were like celebrities. They're very extremely humble people. They're just normal people who are very humble. And to see the way that people approached them and they remembered them, one of the last experiences we had, we were in the airport getting ready to leave. That is a grueling trip. And and my parents were both in their mid-70s at the time. And there was a guy that came running into the airport with tears in his eyes because he was able to see his teacher who made such an impact on him in the early 1970s, 40, 50 years later. He was crying and the emotion that was poured out of that man because the impact that these missionaries had was, it put things in perspective for me. You said that there's a lot of folks that were in Papua, and, and it makes sense now. I've, I've run into people, I can't give you any names, but various places where I've been and, and talking to folks at, at Lutheran gatherings, and somebody will mention, yeah, my parents were in Papua, or I was, there was pretty intense, the, the missionary effort we put in there. And I never understood, talk about Mission India and the the impact that we can have by sending money overseas. And I never understood what that really means until I was there. I always kind of thought, wow, dollar for dollar, the biggest impact can be made by sending your money overseas. But until I went there and I realized that without a strong church at home, those dollars aren't going overseas. And so it just gave me a reminder that we, we have to build strong churches here in order to succeed in our mission field, and that we can't just pour all of our money away from facilities or people and places like St. Peter's, but you have to have a strong community church where you're at in order to make a difference in the world. Well, we're already talking about some lessons that we can apply to discipleship, but to bring us into our topic of vocation and, and Christians and vocations, you started off at Concordia College to become, or was it a college or university? It was a university. Concordia University. I'm not that old, George. I think it changed from college to university when I was an undergraduate, but I don't remember those things. You started, though, studying to be a teacher, and you have a te- you had a teaching certificate 
kid. I do. You? I have a teaching degree. I have an elementary ed degree with a specialization in math. But you've chosen to farm. What was it that moved you into the farming world from the teaching world? How did that occupation, vocational choice happen? I don't really think it was necessarily my decision. And we have to back up a little bit from college. My family quit farming in 1996. It was February 3rd. You talk about a life-changing event. A lot of dates you can't remember. Sometimes I struggle to remember my kids' birth dates. But I remember February 3rd, 1996. That's when we quit or we sold our cows. You know, the mid-late 90s, ag wasn't a great opportunity. All three of my cousins had been through the University of Illinois. When it came time to decide where I was going to go to college, it was either going to be the University of Illinois with an ag degree or I'd go to Concordia to get a teaching degree. My oldest sister, Amanda, graduated from Concordia. So the whole time that she went there, the four years that we'd go up to visit, I was like, there is no way I am ever going to this school. I'm a little country boy from the middle of nowhere. There's concrete everywhere. There's people everywhere. There's no way that I will ever go to Concordia. I did not like it when we'd go visit and I couldn't wait to get out of there. So we sold our cows in 96 and most kids today take a lot of college visits. I didn't go on any college visits. God made it very clear that Concordia was the place I needed to be and so that's where I went. I didn't have any intentions for about three and a half years at Concordia to do anything other than teach but in the fall of 2001, Stacy Arnholt, who is now Stacy Schieffer, the assistant principal here at St. Peter's, uh, who lived on Stephanie's floor, put a little bug in my ear and said, hey, my dad and my uncle are building a new dairy facility. Would you have any interest in going there to work? And previous to this, I have to back up just a little bit. So Stephanie and I, we started dating in, in 2000. We got engaged in August of 2001. So poor Stephanie, when she accepted her uh, ring on her finger for engagement, she anticipated being married to a teacher who has summers off and has breaks and maybe has all the weekends off and doesn't quite work the hours that I do. And we actually ended up doing our student teaching together in the fall of 2001. But Stacy put the bug in my ear and said, hey, do you have any interest in moving to Columbus, Indiana? The call process at the time for graduates at Concordia, Stephanie and I had both met with Dr. John Zillman. We went together to meet with him and said, upon graduation, we will accept a call anywhere in the United States as long as we can both have a job and neither one of us are driving too far. August, September of 2001, that's where we were at. That was the plan. That's what we were doing. So Stacy put that bug in my ear. I came down to Columbus to visit. I came down with her and Nathan, her husband, and I enjoyed my visit and I prayed about it. And I went back and I talked to Stephanie quite a bit and was decided that, hey, instead of moving anywhere in the United States, we are going to move to Columbus, Indiana, and I'm going to start farming. In January of 2002, we went into Dr. Zillman and said, we've had a bit of change of plans. I don't need a job anymore because we're moving to Columbus, Indiana, but Stephanie needs a job in Columbus. And it just so happened that God worked it all out. Janice Saboten, who had been the kindergarten teacher, was pregnant with her twins at the time and had those twins and she left an opening at St. Peter's to take care of her babies. And so Stephanie started the job as a kindergarten teacher that fall. So as you look at your life, you can see all these places where God put you or your parents in specific spots and and just kind of guided that process. You met your wife, you got to Columbus, you're here now. So that kind of brings us into the topic. As we talk about Christians and vocation, the last couple of episodes, it's been more about how do you share your faith in a place that's maybe not as friendly to Christianity. As a farmer, there's a lot of individual things, and so you probably need to talk more to us about faith as a farmer than witnessing as a farmer, right? Sure. I enjoyed listening to Ike and Barb talk about their experiences that they've had, Barb in politics and Ike working at Cummins. My experiences have 
Christianity and farming is quite different. Farming is pretty unique in that most farmers have a strong Christian faith. When I come to St. Peter's, I look around and see a lot of farmers. There's a lot of farmers that go to St. Paul, where I grew up. There's a lot of farmers. Farmers just seem to have to have faith in more than what they can do. It's interesting how many Lutheran farmers there are. I'm not saying there's not. I know of a lot that aren't Lutheran, but for whatever reason, as the Lutheran or the German Lutherans migrated here or immigrated and, and moved to this country, they, they took up farming. And so they have a pretty, there's a pretty profound impact on farming by German Lutherans. You know, being a Christian, farming is really quite easy from an outsider's perspective. We go to a lot of meetings and if there's a meal, there's still a blessing before the meal. We don't have to worry about sharing our faith and someone from HR saying, no, that's not acceptable. Can't do that. Not something that we deal with on a daily basis. But I think more, like you said, more than just Christian in farming, I think uh, a farmer just has to have a lot of faith and they have to endure a lot of challenges in, in life. It's been extremely dry this summer and yesterday Today we had we had some rain, but as the as the rain moved in, that was a little bit more intense than I think most of us would have liked. Uh, there was quite a bit of wind and issues with that. But we are so blessed, and we see our blessings on a regular basis. You know, most people, if they're working at a factory or at Cummins as, as an engineer or at St. Peter's, they look outside and see rain, and it's sometimes an inconvenience or. You know, it's going to change their outdoor plans. Whereas a farmer, I think you look at a at a rain shower as you just watch God's blessings fall. Sometimes I think you have to question how you deal with as a farmer with the stresses. Most people probably don't realize, but just in Bartholomew County, there's millions of dollars every year that you just take and you throw out on the ground. I don't know of any other vocation or profession where you would not be looked upon as a fool for taking just dollar bills and throwing them out in the ground and hope you get them back. And there's no guarantees that you get any of it back. And so without faith, in my opinion, in my experience, I don't know how you could endure the stress. You put in the heavy hours, you know, at certain times, you know, I know there's not sometimes you're, you've got a little bit off time, but you know, that's one thing that, that those who are not familiar with farming don't appreciate, well, what do you do all day long? It's pretty intense at certain times, but there's always something to do on the farm, right? I shouldn't say this because I didn't share it with Stephanie, but I saw something the other day. Somebody posted something that in farming, you feel like you're going to get caught up next week. You're going to get caught up next week. You're going to get caught up next week. And then all of a sudden, you're at the end of your life and you've never been caught up. And so if you're outside of farming, you don't realize all the extras that go into it. Uh, you see farmers out in the field with their tractors and equipment and you and you might think that that's all they have to do. But there's so much more to that. There's so much equipment maintenance. There's We have to haul a lot of grain. There's always something to do. There's never a time where we show up at the farm and you're just like, well, we don't have anything to do today. What are we going to do? There's many times I'll even, like you're driving at nighttime during harvest season and, and the farmers are out there with the lights on the combine and all all those things and the rest of us are like we're taking it easy we're home from work the uh the hours that we seem to put in anymore are different than what uh, i grew up with and even it's changed over the last several years it seems like we burn our lights a lot more than we used to just to be able to get the work done in a timely manner i know there was another farmer who i think he ran like three days straight without any sleep last year when he was trying to get the crop planted. Planting for me is more of a marathon than a sprint. And if I sprint too far, I'm going to crash and that gets pretty dangerous. I, I think of it more as a, as a marathon and I, maybe I'm just getting older. I can't, I can't do those types of things anymore. But the, you know, if, if we're behind and there's it's a wet spring, like it was last year, uh, it's not uncommon for you to work from seven o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning to you might be running until two or three o'clock the next morning. So there's, there's some super long hours in those, in those times. And 
And in the wintertime, we try to cut back and try to be around our families more often. We try to cut back to like 40 hours a week. Yeah, see, you mentioned being able to spend more time with, with your family and kind of tying this into our, so we've been talking about, you know, kind of this series of vocation. Previously, we talked about faith in the home. You talk about your family and trying to, like, I guess, how do you try to find that that balance of being, you know, being so busy with, with work and everything? And you've been talking a lot about having faith as a as a farmer, how do you instill that into your kids? Because you have two awesome kids, you and Stephanie have two awesome kids. So kind of, can you share a little bit about your your family, about your kids, but also then how you kind of find that balance of putting in those long hours and everything. And like, how do you and Stephanie kind of try to make that work? So I'm guessing most people around Columbus probably don't know, but Stephanie grew up without a dad. And so she looks at the lens through a different lens than I do. I grew up with a dad whose alarm went off at 415 for the first 16 years of my life. And he might work till seven, eight o'clock every night. And so that's the lens that I look through. And so I see the impact on my kids. So we have Isla, who is nine, and Elias, who is three. We've been blessed very uniquely to have those two. We, they're both a gift from God through adoption. So Stephanie's perspective of not having a dad around, period, and my perspective of my dad's impact was still great, but his he wasn't necessarily home for breakfast every morning. He wasn't home for dinner every night, but he, and he wasn't able to go to all our sports events and whatever else we did when we were growing up. And so I feel like to me, I feel like I, I can still have a strong impact on my kids. I know they're, they're growing up with a dad who works different hours than most dads, but you know, we make special time together. I mean, every church, every Sunday, Sunday school, and uh, we pray before all our meals and Bible studies and prayers before bed. And so I know that my opinion and Stephanie's opinion differs there, but I feel like the hours I work hopefully are instilling a a worth work ethic in my kids that they grow up to contribute to society and with their worth work ethic as well. And I think the impacts of when I'm home are more profound, like in the wintertime and of in of an evening, because this time that we have together is so much more precious. So I think that our time together, while maybe fewer than most families spend together, is still very precious. And we just try to be intentional to have fun together and just experience life together. Isla has a lot of challenges in her life, and yesterday was a pre- super proud dad moment. A lot of times we focus on the challenges in life. And we don't get to celebrate the wins. She has a lot of anxiety issues. And yesterday she was able to show a calf at the fair. And we've worked with this calf. And she's so fortunate to have this little calf that was it, its personality. I mean, God put this calf that Isla could show because if it was spunky, it wasn't going to work. And so she was able to overcome her emotions and her anxiety. And it wasn't a long experience. She led the calf in the ring, and it might have been three or four minutes. But it was such a huge win for her mentally that I feel like while my time is not as great or as much as other parents, things like that and helping her overcome a challenge really can still have a huge impact. Caleb, you were earlier expressing whether this would be an interesting episode or not. We are almost out of time, and we haven't even talked about how you're serving here at church as well as at home. But I want to pull back because I think this episode is something we, we as we focus on farming that you said earlier, I'd like to bring back and have you address four young adults, young people, kids who are thinking about farming or who maybe aren't thinking about farming, but they would be a blessing to the community and to themselves if they would follow that path. What's some advice you give to Christians that might be thinking about going into farming? Prayer, lots of prayer. Your prayer life ebbs and flows through with the seasons, I feel like. You know, when you got a crop out there, I feel like your, your, your prayer life is a little more heightened, probably because you have so much more financial risk and you have so much on the line. But God will open doors like mine. 
I, you know, I didn't expect to grow up or to grow up on a farm and then farm for someone else for so long, but it was all through God. I look back to 1996 and there was a life-changing moment then. As you look back on life, I feel like you can see how God works more than in the moment. And when he closed that door, he opened the door of Concordia. A lot of times I think about the impact that Stephanie has with all of her students. I mean, as long as she's taught now, there's hundreds of kids that she's had and families too, that she's had a huge impact on. And she wouldn't have an impact on any of those kids if God hadn't had this silly husband of hers grew up in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, and then move here and become a farmer. If if I went to U of I, if God had led me to U of I, there's no way it would end up in Columbus, in my opinion, because the world's so big, Columbus is just part of it. And so I think we would have ended up somewhere else. I, you know, I wouldn't have met Stephanie. And so you think about that, but you look back and you're like, wow, God really worked this out. God really worked that out. There's no doors that are ever closed. And I feel like that if you pray about it and you look and you listen, God will show you and lead you through those doors that he wants you to. When you think about adoption, we struggled to start our family and we had a couple adoption doors close and, and we were to the point where with Eilish's adoption, if we if this doesn't work out, that door is closed, we're going to move on. We don't want to struggle with this in life anymore. But as you look back, you're like, wow, God was making this work, making this work, opening this door and, and putting it in our hearts to do this or that and just giving you the guidance that you don't, you don't think about in the moment because you're just making decisions. But when you look back, you're like, it's pretty profound and powerful when you think about what God's done in such subtle ways through the people that you're around. Caleb, you shared so much with us today, and we could go so many different directions with this. I'm not going to add anything else here, but I know Dustin's going to have a little conclusion here before we break for this episode. Yeah, like George said, there was yeah, so much great information there. I think something that kind of really stuck out to me, though, is he's talking about in the, the world of farming is you're just that much more reliant on God because of there's so much out of out of your control. And so I think my encouragement, though, to everyone is, is maybe in, the, in other areas, maybe you don't necessarily think or feel like you have to rely on God as much, but don't get caught up in relying on your own abilities or your own, your own circumstances, things like that. But truly just rely on God day in and day out. The other thing is we talk about the five by two. I think of meaningful conversations as you talked about your parents being missionaries and just the impact that was able to ha- be had because of those meaningful conversations, that intentionality where they were and the same thing you talked about with your kids of being intentional with them when you do have that time with them. I think it's just so important because even even if you kind of the the, the quality over the, the quantity with, with, with people is Yes, we want to make sure we spend time with people, but when we do, it's it's being intentional with them, having those meaningful conversations, learning their story, and being able to speak into their lives and be able to, to share the gospel, whether it is through word or, or through deeds. So yeah, I think those are things that just really stuck out. Is just kind of encouragement for our listeners is rely on God and just be more aware of your reliance on God and how much you need Him. And um, and also when you have, have time with people, be intentional and take advantage of those moments. Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but I thought of one thing I got to say. Each person can make a huge impact where God has placed them. And you may not think that you have a big role in wherever you're at. Who would have thought that Caleb's parents could come back 50 years later and somebody would say, you made such an impact. Somebody that's not riding on a tractor all day doesn't realize the impact they have. But we rely on farmers for our food. And each person that's sitting in the pew, it may just be one small thing you do, but God's going to use that. You may be opening the door for somebody else and not even realize it. So never... Never, never, never think that God can't use your circumstances and your abilities. Absolutely. And I think that uh, God uses the skills that he's given you in such a unique way to make a huge impact in his world. 
and and we just have to be aware of that. In farming, you get a, a frequent reminder you can do everything right or you think are doing right, and it'd be completely wrong. But in life and in, in general, you feel like you can, you're making the right decision at the time, but it might not be what God is leading you to. Looking back, it becomes clear how God is using those around you. And you just have to make sure that you, you use what God's given you to make an impact in his world. Caleb, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be here and, and talk with us uh, for this episode. And we just encourage our listeners, pray, you know, we hope and pray that you'll continue to keep listening in. And as, as George and I have, have guests here and, you know, the, uh, George and I have talked about this before, the guests, the guests make the episodes for sure. And so hopefully you enjoy uh, learning about people and, and what they're doing. So and we just look forward to continuing to have these discipleship discussions and talking about the five by two. Now go out and serve God and others.